Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from Bristol, Sarah Abbott. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Producing from uh, the foothills of Connecticut in his new home is Taylor Schwenk. Taylor, get ready because we got some Orioles conversation today. What? Orioles talk? That's weird. I mean, they, they've been playing poorly lately. I wonder what's going on in the news. I'm detached. Yeah, they are definitely in the news. And I'm Buster Only, working from Montana. Phillies, Marlins. On Tuesday, Reese Hoskins came to play in the bottom of the ninth inning, and this happened. And he's set. He kicks the 2-1 pitch. Swung on, line to his left center field. That's going to get down for a base hit, and he's won the game. He's got his first walk-off RBI. Fearling scores, and the Phillies win it. Hoskins hands in the air, races into second, and waits on the celebration to start as the Phillies come back and beat the Marlins 3-2. Scott Francie, 94 WIP. That, of course, was on Monday. Padres and the Cubs. The Padres continue to surge. Eric Hosmer got a big hit. Pitch. Line drive, base hit towards the gap. That's going to score Jake Cronenworth. That's going to score Manny Machado. Eric Hosmer is rounding second base. He's going to hold up at second with a two-run double. Hosmer coming through big time with a two-run single here in the eighth. That from 97.3. The fan, the Padres went 4-1. to You Darvish was outstanding. According to the Associated Press, Josh Donaldson's one-game suspension has been upheld by Major League Baseball. His fine was reduced from $10,000 to $5,000. That, of course, for what he said to Tim Anderson uh, earlier this season, referring to him as Jackie. The Cardinals and the Pirates on Monday night, Paul Goldschmidt, MVP candidate, added to that. The 3-2 pitch is hit high and deep to left field. Did he get it? Back to the track, and it's gone. Big fly, Goldschmidt. The homers off of Stratton, and the Cardinals have a 6-5 lead. In a few minutes, you're going to hear from Tim Kirkchen as to whether or not he thinks Paul Goldschmidt is the front runner to win National League MVP. That sound, by the way, Cardinals Radio Network, uh, Ricky Horton. Lots of injury news in recent days. The National Steven Strasburg was scratched from his scheduled start. He continues to have issues uh, related to his thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, I saw him in his first start last week, and he just was not the same Steven Strasburg in terms of how hard he was throwing. So you hope for the best that he can come uh, and make progress as we go ahead and, uh, in the weeks to come. Walker Bueller went on the injured list over the weekend with a right forearm strain. Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager, made it very clear he's going to be out a while, and that could have an impact on the National League West race. This happened last night in the Braves game. Look at that defensive swing, and Ozzie tripped and fell. Is he all right? The throw's going to go to first base, and Ozzie Albies is gingerly walking toward the Braves' dugout. He just tried to punch and serve that ball to left, and as he moved out of the batter's box, he went down in a heap and slowly is going down the stairs and not putting a whole lot of weight on that left leg. That is not a good sight to see. Nope, and he had to leave the game. A little while later, the Braves announced that he had fractured his left foot on that swing. Tim Kirchner and I are going to be talking about the impact of that injury 
uh, in just a few minutes. The Braves have been on this incredible winning streak, and that would continue last night. That ball hammered down the left field line. If he kept it fair, the Braves are going to have the lead. He did. Darno with a solo home run. It's 1-0. The 25th home run hit by the Braves during this 11-game-plus winning streak. And the Braves strike first, a leadoff homer, one zip in Washington. Payoff pitch, swung on, driven to center and deep. Lane Thomas going back at the track, at the wall, it's gone. Dansby Swanson with a two-run jack to straightaway center over the 4-0-2 mark. Braves get two of them back. It's 8-4 Atlanta. We're in the eighth pitch. Fly ball headed for the gap in left center. At the track, at the wall, leaping try, it's gone. There's the first big league home run from Michael Harris. An opposite field bullet into the Braves' bullpen. Enjoy that, kid. You never forget your first. Wow. Those voices, of course, Chip Carey, Joe Simpson on the Braves' television and radio networks. The Braves' winning streak is now to 12 games. But, of course, after the game, the conversation was about Ozzy's injury. How do you leave tonight's game? You guys win your 12th in a row but lose Ozzy? Well, I mean, I hate it for Ozzy. hate it for us. I mean, it's unfortunate. But, you know, it's one of them things. He'll be fine. He's young. He'll heal quick. And, and um, you know, just like I said, I just hate it for the kid because he just he loves to play baseball. And um, he's such a big part of our club here. It's, um, you know, it's just a chance for somebody else to do something good. As of now, have you been told how long you can expect to? No. Not uh-uh. Last week, we talked about the lawsuit that was filed by Lou Angelos, son of Orioles owner Peter Angelos, against his brother, John. Uh, well, John responded with a strongly worded statement Monday uh, in which he assured fans that the Orioles will not leave Baltimore. Uh, John Angelos wrote in part, there's nothing uncertain about the future of the Baltimore Orioles. I want to assure our Orioles players and coaches our dedicated front office senior leadership team and staff and our devoted fans, trusted partners, elected civic and nonprofit leaders in our entire community that the Orioles will never leave. Taylor, what do you got? Buster, last night, the Golden State Warriors took a 3-2 lead in the NBA Finals, and Brian Windhorst and the Hoop Collective were all over it after the game. Wendy and Tim Bontemps were on the floor of the Chase Center to react to a massive win in a weird game. The guys break it all down, including a sensational performance from Andrew Wiggins, Steph going cold from three, the Celtics' offensive struggles in the fourth quarter, and why Boston missed a big opportunity to win this game. That is the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. You can listen to those guys wherever you get your podcasts. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkchin covers baseball for ESPN. Tim, how you doing today? I'm well, Buster. How's it going? Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, I must say, though, last night I got a bunch of uh, texts from my son, the Braves fan, really concerned about that Ozzy Albies injury. Uh, I, I, and then I watched a replay of it right after he sent me that. I, I'm worried, Tim. You know, I'm, I'm worried because the nature of foot injuries, sort of the weird way that happened, uh, and also just knowing the impact that he has on that team, even when he's not necessarily having a great offensive season. Yeah, he is a tremendous energy source on that team in every way. And I watched the replay. I didn't like looks of it. Um, also, being a little guy, I think I understand a little bit. You take you take the legs or the feet away from a little guy. Look, he's young. He's 25. He can come back from this. The Braves are going to be fine. But I always worry when a little guy who maybe not steals every base but is really – important on his feet because they're so important to a little guy. Uh, When he gets hurt like that, that always worries me. But the Braves won 12 games in a row. They have people who can fill in for him. They won the World Series without Ronald Acuna, another great energy source. But I think people will tell you on that team, Ozzie Albies is the greatest energy source they have, given just his infectious enthusiasm. Yeah. Give me some observations you've had of him, you know, through the years – uh, with that and and how important that is over 162 game season. Well, that smile is unmistakable, and he flashes it all the time, and that's really really important. Plus, all the work he does before games. I know all the infielders work with Ron Washington, but he seems to enjoy it more than anything. And when a teammate does something, especially when Acuna Jr. does something, I always watch for Ozzy Albie's because he's the one. First in the dugout to greet him. He's the one that's most excited about everything. And again, he's a really little guy, Buster. He's shorter than you are. And for him to be this good of a player and have this kind of production, especially last year, um, I think that adds to it. Yeah. uh, And I, you know, I told this story in the past. Uh, about Ozzy and and sort of his nature of his personality and how infectious it is. You before a Braves game, you, know, you watch that moment when uh, you know players are are getting warmed up and they're running into the outfield, the position players from the foul line 
out towards center field. It's incredible to me how many players on other teams gravitate toward Ozzy. And it reminds me of Miguel Cabrera, you know, who I started to see that happen with him in his 30s. Same thing with David Ortiz. But Ozzy's like 24, 25. And, you know, he has such energy. I remember watching him having a conversation with Ron Washington before a game in San Diego this year. And Eduardo Perez was standing next to me. He goes, you know what? If people didn't know better, if they didn't know Ozzy, they would think these two guys hate each other. Like, because they're so demonstrative and they're fighting, but it's all in fun, you know, and uh, and his personality manifesting. Yeah, and don't forget, a few couple years ago, they had a height-off during a game, before a game between Ronald Torres and Ozzie Albies. They made them stand back-to-back, and Ozzie had everything to do with that. You think he's taller than I am? So they did a back-to-back during – you know, like before a game during batting practice, Ozzy won, and he was very proud of that, even though the whole thing was a big joke. that That's just kind of the enthusiasm he shows every day. All right, so I was on radio in Alabama a couple weeks ago, and I declared the National League East race to be over, Tim. I said, no, it's over. The Braves will never catch the Mets. Uh, how stupid was I? Um, standard stupid for you, Buster. You love to jump early on these things, and that's why we love you. Um, but 12 in a row for the Braves. So that ties the 2018 Astros for the longest winning streak by a defending World Series champion. And the way they're doing it is really impressive. Um, you know, the way they pitched, of course, Max Fried and Kyle Wright's been great. And the way they score runs, hit the ball out of the ballpark. Um, I still really like the Mets team. Don't get me wrong. This is nothing against the Mets. This is that the Braves have hit their stride again. And after last year, we should have never questioned when Atlanta can get it going. Brian Snitker held a team meeting. All of a sudden, the Braves win 12 games in a row. Not a coincidence. Yeah, and the Mets know that they've got Jacob DeGrom probably coming back uh, sometime around the All-Star break. Yeah, Max Scherzer coming back before then. When I asked Buck Showalter about the surging Phillies and the surging Braves, he, he looked at me like I was a complete idiot, Tim. Uh, <laughs> like, it's way too early to be having those discussions. Uh, I, it, but it is interesting watching the Braves put it together. Adam Duvall has started to hit like crazy. And Dansby Swanson, I don't think he's going to win the National League MVP, but you know what? He's going to be in the top ten in, on the ballot, which I never would have guessed after his slow start. Right. Remember, Buster, that slow start. You know, he struck out four times on opening night. He he struck out, I think, I'll be close on this, his first 14 games of the season. And he was leading the league in strikeouts after about three weeks of the season. And he has really turned it around. He's hitting close to 300. He's doing it with power. He's a great defensive shortstop. That guy's a really good player. He gets better every year. So we have a, a changing uh, of leadership uh, in the National League West last night. The San Diego Padres uh, move into a, a virtual tie with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I got to say, Tim, if you told me at the end of the year that the Padres won this division, it wouldn't be a shock. You know, they've done all this work this year. You know, it's 38 and 24 so far this season without the guy who theoretically is one of their one or two best players, Fernando Tatis Jr., and he might be joining their lineup very soon. And the Dodgers, there's a weariness about that team, Tim. Uh, and I saw it, I got to say, you know, in those years that I covered the Yankees, I saw that, you know, year after year after year with the high expectations on the team, 
pushing that rock back up the hill every year, I think, began to wear on the players. And then you have literal uh, wearing on the players. Uh, Walker Bueller going down with an injury the other day, a forearm, forearm issue. They've made it clear he's not going to be back for a long time. Justin Turner getting older. Some of the other guys are struggling in the lineup. Dave Roberts talking uh, on Monday about, hey, we need to start doing some things better. We need to start playing better baseball. Yeah, Buster, I did their game uh, Friday night and Saturday in San Francisco. And granted, they ran into a really good Giants bullpen on Saturday, but they left 14 guys on base. Had the bases loaded four times in that game and just couldn't get people home. And as far as the weariness goes, Buster, look, I'm with you. I think the Dodgers will be a really, really good team when October comes, and they'll be playing in October. That's obvious. However, I was told that Julio Urias is a little sore and a little tired from last year. Buster, he pitched twice more than twice as many innings last year as any other season in his career. And even though his numbers are good, he's given up 12 home runs and he's a little tired, I'm told. I was told the same thing about Walker Bueller, that he's just not the same pitcher. And that was before he got hurt. And he's going to miss two months, Buster, maybe longer than that. If he's not yeah. picking up a ball for six to eight weeks, he's he's going to be out for a long time. And he, granted, they have Tony Gonsolin, they have pitching in the minor leagues. But, you know, the Padres are really good right now. And the Giants, despite not being as good, they're a pain in the neck, too. And I think the Dodgers have their hands full. But Dave Roberts is right. They have to play better. As great as their offense is, they are a spotty offensive team here and there where you can pitch to that team, which I didn't think a lot of people thought you could. And you really feel like Bob Melvin's made a huge difference with the Padres, yes? Yes. I was told, you know, last year, you know, somebody's got to come in and clean up some things here. And Bob Melvin's really good at that. He goes right in and sees what's wrong and he fixes it. But look at their team right now with the way they have pitched Joe Musgrove and others, the way Jay Cronenworth has played. And of course, Manny Machado, that's a very good team right now. And in theory, when Tatis gets back, it could get much better. I'm really curious about, uh, Tatis Jr. coming back and, and what, how exactly that all plays out, you know, especially the question of whether or not he plays shortstop or center field. What do you think? Well, I think he's going to play shortstop, but it'll be interesting to see what happens because he's been the star of the team since the minute he got there, even though Manny Machado has been a better player at times and all that, but he was the marquee guy. But remember, Buster, they had the best record in baseball after 50 games and then finished under 500 last year with Tatis in the middle of all that. Now he's going to come back whenever it is, maybe to a first-place team. Maybe he's going to look around and say, you know, my teammates are really, really good. Maybe I should, you know, follow the lead of them this time instead of maybe the other way around. I would play him at shortstop, but I think he's so athletic. He could play center field, stay healthier, but I think his best shot is at shortstop. Yeah, and I think my question at shortstop is, and I agree with you, he'll come back and he'll be the shortstop, but I do think that the standards uh, for performance and expectation have been raised there. So if he were to come back and make a bunch of errors early, I'd be curious to see what the reaction would be from Bob Melvin. 
Yeah, I mean, I've had t- people in the organization tell me he's a center fielder long-term. That was last year. I was surprised to hear it that early. But you're right, Bob Melvin has tightened things up there in every way. And one of them is the defense. And Tatis Jr. is a spectacular defensive player. And yet, every once in a while, we'll kick a ground ball. That is going to be unacceptable this time. So I'm going to ask you uh, in a bit about the Tony La Russa situation, about the Orioles' ownership. But before that, I want to ask you about some of the major awards uh, that are up for grabs. American League Cy Young Award is, to me, potentially a fascinating race because it might involve two teammates, Kevin Gossman and Alec Manoa, the Toronto Blue Jays. Right now, Tim, if you look at uh, Fangraph's version of pitching war, Kevin Gossman is far and away the front runner, 3.0 war to this point. Manoa at 1.9. Tim, I looked at this morning, though, Manoa's ERA is nearly a run better than Kevin Gossman. Uh, it's clear that uh, Gossman's incredibly low home run rate is the reason why he's got that 3.0 war. I think right now Manoa might win that award. What about you? Yeah, I would vote for him. By the way, Warbuster is confusing to me still because there are other sites that have a different war for each player. Yeah, yep. To me, if war's going to work, then it has to be the exact same formula as everyone else's. So it's confusing. But having said that, I would take Manoa. He's eight and one. And I, sorry, I still pay attention to wins and losses. He leads the league in ERA. He's pitched 75 innings. He's done it for a very good team. I find three, four guys that you could put in this conversation, but I would take the big right-hander for the Blue Jays. Uh, And I want to talk a little bit about Manoa because I I just love to watch him pitch. He's such an unusual uh, starting pitcher. I think he's the closest thing that I've seen to a position player as a starting pitcher that I've seen in the time I've covered baseball. And, and this is what I mean by that. You know, you know, there, there, uh, there's like a separation in clubhouses between the position players and the starting pitchers. Usually they have the starting pitchers, relief pitchers on one side of the clubhouse. They have the position players on the other. Uh, pitchers are kind of on their own thing, right? They have their own regimen. They have their own workout routine. They're kind of off doing their own thing. Uh, even during the course of games that they pitch, they'll come back into the dugout. They're in one corner and they're not to be uh, talked to. No one's allowed to go in their area. Everyone leaves them alone because they're on their starting pitcher day, uh, the day that they're they're making their start. With Manoa, <laughs> all those lines are blurred during the course of his game. I I can't remember seeing a guy like that, Tim. Yeah, it's weird. You know, he wears a position players number first right. off really throws you off. He weighs what 280 pounds and he's wearing number six. That doesn't look right. He looks like your your third catcher or your you know your second DH and he's out there firing. So but you know maybe that's part of it. Maybe people look at him and he doesn't even really look like a pitcher until that stuff comes in and then everyone goes, whoa, we're dealing with something really good here. Yeah, I like uh, watching him interact with teammates in the dugout during his starts. He's just a normal guy. Just uh, he, he's not, you know, he, he's not someone who has this aura about him like a starting pitcher. He's just another normal player in the dugout having a great time. National League MVP, I think Pete Alonso's got to be in that conversation. Paul Goldschmidt's got to be in that conversation. Who you got? 
Well, Manny Machado's in that conversation too, but I'm going to take Goldschmidt. They, he has, of course, solidified that infield defense. He is a pro's pro in every way, player of the month in May. It, over 400 with 10 homers in May. The only Cardinals ever to do that in any month are Stan Musial and Rogers Hornsby. Leads the league in OPS for a team that's in first place. So I could easily go to Alonzo. I could easily go to Manny Machado, who has been tremendous for the Padres. But I'll go with Goldschmidt because I just know when, when you're around that team, they just look at him and they, they kind of follow his lead because he's just the most reliable guy in the world. Every day is the same. I don't think there's any doubt that Aaron Judge is the front runner to be the American League MVP because he's on a pace, Tim, to hit over 60 homers, be the first guy to hit that benchmark in over 20 years. But I do want people to pay attention to what Jose Ramirez is doing for the Guardians. Ridiculous. Like in any other year uh, where you didn't have a player like Judge doing what he's doing, Jose Ramirez right now would be the runaway front runner to be the American League MVP. Do you agree with me? I I wouldn't say runaway, but I would say he's right there. But look, Buster, I'm 65, and I still put value in, is your team ahead? Is your team in first place? Are you winning? So, so Aaron Judge has a 1.077 OPS for a team that is 44 and 16, and he's leading the league in home runs. He's the MVP of the league. Uh, Jose Ramirez has had a ridiculous year, and the, the Gardens wouldn't be anywhere without him. But when when you are the best player on the best team, uh, it almost guarantees that you're the MVP. That's where Aaron Judge is. So these numbers are impossible for Jose Ramirez. 37 extra base hits, including 16 homers, 33 walks, and just 17 strikeouts. Impossible in 2022. Right. Well, the strikeout totals are the ones that jump out at you. I mean, when, when a guy has more strikeouts, I mean, more walks and strikeouts, it's absurd these days. When you have almost as many homers as strikeouts, that's, you know, that's DiMaggio, Ted Klozuski-esque. We just, Yogi Berra, we just don't see that stuff anymore. That's the impressive part about Ramirez. He's the best third baseman in the game uh, right now, and it's, uh, he's been tremendous. On Friday's podcast, we talked with Paul Ambikides about that decision that Tony LaRusso made last week, intentionally walking Trey Turner after the count got to one and two to pitch to Max Muncie. Muncie hits the home run. Uh, a lot of folks in social media were ripping Tony LaRusso, saying it's totally ridiculous. Uh, Hembo presented the numbers that show that the underlying statistics, uh, you know, back up to some degree what LaRusso did. I think Hembo and I both fell in the same place. We wouldn't have intentionally walked Trey Turner, but we also said it's not like it was some crazy decision. Well, LaRusso over the weekend continues to get criticism for that, uh, that choice. This was LaRusso on Friday going back over that uh, Trey Turner decision. Can you explain the, uh, the thought process on the intentional walk? Just want to ask you a question. Is there some question about whether that was a good move or not? I guess at one two is the question. The count. You know what he hits against left-hand pitching with one oh one or two strikes. You know what he hits. You know what Muncie hits with two strikes with against left-hand pitcher. Uh, I mean, is that really a question? Because it was one and two. Turner with a, a strike left against a left-hander is not something you can avoid if you can. And we had an open base, and Muncie happened to be the guy behind him, and that's a better matchup. 
Here again, somebody disagrees. That's, that's the beauty of this game. Welcome to it. But that, that wasn't a tough call. So that was sound from right after Thursday's game on Friday. Larusa basically said, "Yeah, I, I don't have any second. Uh, you know, I'm not second guessing myself." Uh, a day later, he was booed uh, by White Sox fans over the weekend. Tony, uh, they were chanting, or uh, Tim, they were chanting for him to be fired. I, I, you know, I got asked the question by some editors, some radio producers. Look, is Tony Larusa in trouble? Tim, what do you think? I, I don't think he's in trouble. And we had Jesse Rogers on baseball tonight on Sunday. He's our Chicago reporter. And he says there he's not going to get fired. And I don't think he should be fired. I would not have walked Trey Turner with a one, two count, but it was not the most egregious thing in the world. Trey Turner is a great hitter. And I looked up those numbers of Trey Turner against left-handers. And yeah, he was like five for 15 with a two strike count against lefties this year. We get it. And Max Muncy has struggled all year lefty on lefty. I don't think it was the worst thing I've ever seen. Buster, I covered a game in Baltimore in 88 where Frank Robinson took Jay Tibbs out of the game, the pitcher, with an 0-2 count. He took him out of the game with an 0-2 count because Jose Canseco had hit two line drives down the left field line, foul, as hard as you can hit a ball, and Frank said, that's enough. I'm not going to watch him straight one of those out and hit it 600 feet. So I've seen crazier things than that. I wouldn't have done it. And you open yourself up to criticism when you do that, especially in today's Twitter world where everyone is an expert. We talked about it on Sunday Night Baseball, and I said, look, it comes down to this. Will Jerry Reinsdorf fire Tony LaRusse? And Jerry Reinsdorf, to me, is one of the most loyal owners in sports, maybe to a fault in, in some years, in some cases. But he felt bad about having Tony LaRusse fired four decades ago, the idea that he would fire him in midseason, the year after they won the American League Central, there's no way that Jerry's doing that. And social media certainly has a collective opinion. White Sox fans have an opinion. The front office of White Sox might have an opinion. No opinion matters, Tim, other than Jerry Reinsdorf, yes? Yes, you're absolutely right. Jerry Reinsdorf calls it the biggest mistake of his baseball career was firing Tony La Russa the first time. He's not going to do it the second time, especially given the injuries and everything else that's going on with that team. Look, I'm not going to defend Tony to the hilt here, but I'm telling you, Buck Showalter told me he watched a three-game series very closely, Yankees and White Sox last year, and he said, Tony hasn't missed a step when it comes to the strategy of the game. Now, you can argue with that, but Buckshaw Walter volunteered that to me. So I'm going to say, get the White Sox healthy, get them going in the right direction, then we'll see. But I don't see him being in danger now. All right, we got two minutes, two topics left. I want to ask you about the Orioles' ownership situation. Lou Angelos uh, filed a lawsuit against John Angelos. John Angelos put out a statement on Monday saying that he'll never move the Orioles. I, I feel like that this legal fight between the two brothers was unbelievably predictable. Uh, I, I, and, you know, you, you hope that they, they can settle it. But my bigger concern, Tim, is for the franchise. And in the immediate future, feeling like, boy, they've done all this tanking in recent years. The team, you know, has a good farm system. They have an opportunity to grow. And what I'm concerned about for the fan base is, is that this is going to restrict spending in the immediate future. What would your concerns about this? 
Yeah, and I could see this scenario coming up. I've had people warning me about this for a couple of years, and then it happened. And, yes, I'm worried about the franchise. It's such a rich history of the Orioles. And, you know, I went to a game there the other night, and there weren't too many people there, and those that were there weren't very enthusiastic. And I worried about their rebuild. Is this working, and is this going to hold back the rebuild even more? And I want to uh, talk to you a little bit about Mike Trout, who was on the microphone for us the other day. Tim, uh, about uh, five hours before the game, I was talking with Trout, uh, you know, and thanked him for for wearing the microphone. He serves at DH, and he was kind of lamenting the fact that he wasn't going to be in center field. And then he started talking about how much he loves it uh, and how much he loves the idea that fans are getting some insight into what players are, do- are doing during the course of the game. Uh, and he said, you know what, in five years – there'll be a player wearing the microphone in every broadcast. And, you know, I told him, look, early in the year, Bryce Harper was the DH. He wore the microphone for a lot of the game and had a lot of fun with it. And that's exactly what Mike Trout did, Tim. You know, he just, <laughs> he brought up that, you know, the fantasy uh, football league, the, the famous fantasy football league that led to the slap uh, by Tommy Pham of Jock Peterson. He talked about how he's going to move on from commissioner. He talked about his son Beckham. Uh, he talked about last week, uh, Joe Madden being let go. I mean, he completely opened up and had a blast with it. Right. And it was so encouraging to see that. And I'm really not surprised. He is a really fun loving guy who's got a great personality, whether you're talking about Eagles football or the weather or all sorts of things. He's, he is a really funny guy when he wants to be. And people just look at, you know, years ago, he said something to the effect of, uh, look, just playing the game is, is all I really care about. But now I think he's recognizing that as the best player in the game and the face of the game to some degree, he can add even more to the game. When people see Mike Trout that animated doing anything, I think it's really good for him, for his team, and mostly for the game. All right, Tim. Thanks for doing this. Great to talk with you as always. Okay, Buster. See you guys. Here are some of the sounds of Mike Trout wearing the microphone on Sunday Night Baseball. Wasn't going to go into the... Uh, you throw it out there just to see what I'll say. You know that. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know how it goes. <laughs> Well, not yeah, easy, that's not a, easy that's being a, a commissioner, is it? No, 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 no. That's a, that's a legendary fantasy football league right there. Boys, look. So, all right, so you brought, what makes it legendary for those of us that aren't in it? Well, I mean, it's it's the talk of the town right now. How many people are in it? Uh, there was 12 of us. Is there expansion? Is there a need for expansion in that league? <laughs> I'll tell you right now, uh, probably getting another commissioner. But... <laughs> No, there's definitely a waiting list now. Everybody's calling me, texting me, saying, hey, what's up with this league? How do I get in? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's going to be – I think we got something We got something brewing for next uh, next fantasy, you know, next football season. We got something brewing, a couple of guys. Okay, I'll ask it. Who won then? <laughs> um, Alex Bregman. Ooh. No, 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 no. I told you that. Now you're not going to go asking questions about this league because it's obviously over. <laughs> it's true, but we do have him next week. Oh, yeah, you can ask him then. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. But he won it. Yeah, he won it. I'm a, you guys know I'm a huge Eagles fan, so oh, yeah. I'm, I'm picking him to win. I'm, I'm picking him to win the Super Bowl. You know that. What, 
was there a baseball card in a pack that you would open up and have that same reaction when you were a little guy? Uh, I didn't really collect cards, but I'm starting to. I'm starting to because I want to get a nice collection for my son. I was a, that was a, you know, one of the things uh, you know, I've been talking about. Yeah. Just uh, when he gets a little older and understands what's going on, have a little package for him and uh, a little, little maybe like a gift for him. That'd be cool. Yeah. So, will you give him one of yourself? Like this was dad. I got a. I'm collecting a lot of uh, Mike Trout cards. So <laughs> I got like I got a nice little binder for him. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing this week? Doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm still kind of riding a bit of a high from our Sunday Night Broadcast, which was a lot of fun, in part because of Mike Trout wearing the microphone. <laughs> and you're part of that broadcast as well. I'm curious about how much you enjoyed that, you know, listening to to get some insight. I, I You know, a few years ago, and this is me saying that, not you. I'm not going to put you in a bad position. I remember Rob Manfred, the baseball commissioner, uh, sort of criticizing Trout for not being out there more. And I was shaking my head because I was in the midst of working on an E60 on Mike, and he couldn't have been more open and couldn't have been more helpful and, and uh, chatty. And that's what I think we saw on Sunday night when he was wearing the microphone. Absolutely. He was so much fun. I was just sitting there smiling the entire time. Obviously, we got the update on the fantasy football, which I know everyone was on the edge of their seats about. But I also love the story about collecting baseball cards for his son, Beckham, including a ton of Mike Trout cards. I thought that was really cool and really cool insight into how, you know, the greatest player of his generation, one of the greatest players of all time, is kind of preparing to share the game with his son and starting to do so. Yeah, and and saying right off the bat, like, I hope he plays golf because I love playing yes. golf. And you can just see Mike, you know, envisioning years down the road, he and his son uh, having some fun contests. And also, by the way, Mike's super competitive, so you know that Beckham <laughs> is going to be that way too. Uh, all right, let's get to the numbers game. Number three. 
Number three is six. So we have to revisit what's been going on with the Yankees and Matt Carpenter. So he hit two home runs on Sunday to become the first player in Yankees history with six or more home runs in his first 10 games with the team. This is a team with storied sluggers, so many guys. And of course, they're utilizing him well in terms of who he's playing against, everything else. But Matt Carpenter, who was at the bottom of a lot of stack-ass leaderboards last year, did not look very good at the plate, is the first player in Yankees history to do something. I just think it's incredible. Number two. Number two is also six, but we'll say six and two. So this is a pretty crazy list that Joe Musgrove will have a chance to tie in his next start. So most consecutive starts of at least six innings and two earned runs or fewer to start a season since earned runs became official in both leagues, which was in 1913. Musgrove is at 11. And I feel like this is kind of flying under the radar. He and Sandy Alcantara having these outstanding seasons, really Cy Young caliber seasons, and maybe on teams we're not talking about enough. I know the Padres are very, very good. But anyway, 11 straight, the only guy with a longer streak to start a season, Ubaldo Jimenez in 2010 with 12. And of course, he had that outstanding first half in 2010. So Musgrove will get a chance to tie that record uh, in this next start. Number one. Number one is 10 and nine. So the Phillies win streak ended, but I still want to revisit the fact that we had at one point in the National League East, a 10 game win streak and a nine game win streak going on concurrently. And of course the Braves are now up to 12 in a row, but at the point through Saturday, where they had each won at least nine in a row. It was the third time in the divisional era, which is since 1969, that two teams in the same division ended a day on at least nine game win streaks. The other instances were the 04 NL Central in September and the 1978 ALE. So, Really crazy what's been going on in the NL East. All right, Sarah, I can't believe that one of your three notes was not about Byron Buxton because you sent that one out yesterday, and I was like, wow. Uh, that, that one got my attention, uh, the, the, this incredible uh, combination of numbers that you dug out about Byron Buxton. So he's hit 45 home runs since his last double play he grounded into which, by the way, was in 2020, which is a function of his playing time and everything else. That is the most home runs between grounded into double plays since double plays have been officially tracked for batters in both leagues, which goes back to 1940. And he doesn't even have the bookend yet. So it was 44 when I tweeted out yesterday afternoon. Then he hit another home run last night. He's up to 45, and he keeps adding on. It's crazy. It makes a little bit of sense because he's a power and speed guy, but even still, to have a record like that is outstanding. Uh, And look, you and I both know there have been really fast guys, you know, playing baseball, uh, but when you have a right-handed hitter doing that, not hitting into double plays, 
that's pretty unusual. <laughs> like Absolutely. to have that tells you, uh, you, uh, you know, the fastest guys, right-handed hitters will hit into their sure double plays, but Byron Buxton's not hitting double plays and he's hitting a ton of homers. It's it, uh, that, that was a great number that uh, you sent out on uh, Twitter on Monday. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me. Last week, Phil Nevin got his first chance to manage in the big leagues, taking over the Angels after the firing of Joe Madden. During the weekend, Mike Cousins caught up with Phil Nevin. Give a listen. All right, let's talk about this. Tuesday is a whirlwind day uh, as you take over as the manager of this team. What has this week been like so far for you? I, I think the, the word you just used, uh, whirlwind, it has been. Um, you know, a couple days in, you get some sense of normalcy in the schedule, routine, things like that. Um, you know, Tuesday was obviously, it's really kind of still a blur, to be honest with you. And Wednesday, you're just kind of getting fit in, and then uh, the routine kind of settled in a little bit Tuesday and a little more Friday. So each day is becoming a little more and more. Um, uh, like I said, the conversation I had with Joe on Tuesday uh, put me at ease. He was, I mean, he's a great man, and he... Uh, you know, he just told me, hey, take care of those guys. This is an opportunity you've wanted and worked for for a long time. And I was able to walk in here and, and feel a lot better about it. You know, there's, you know, I would have felt uncomfortable coming in the coach's room or coming into Joe's office and um, if I hadn't had that talk with him. So that, that meant a lot to me, and it's, it's helped kind of ease that transition now. In the opposite dugout tonight, as you finish this three-game series, as a guy you played for at the end of your career, Buck Showalter, what kind of managerial things did you take away from him, not knowing that this day would come one day, but that uh, you saw when you were a player? Yeah, yeah, I spent the, my la- parts of my last two years, and part of those times I was hurt a little bit, so you know I would I probably picked his brain a little more than he wanted, you know, pulling on his coattails while I'm in the dugout while he's trying to his wheels are turning there, but um, no one was more prepared. Um, I take that, you know, him and Boach, two different styles, but um, nobody more prepared, ready for the ne- what's going to happen next. He's, you know, whether it's an inning or two innings or three innings ahead, nothing was a surprise. Um, and I certainly thought about that on Friday when I was doing my preparation for the game. Um, I, wow, you know, I got this is kind of cool. I got Bucks on the other side, and um, he's a friend, um, somebody that I've learned a lot from. Certainly, um, his time with the Yankees last year, we got to spend some more, have some more conversations, baseball-wise, since I was actually playing for him. Uh, so that was nice. And you know, being on opposite sides these three days of, we haven't exchanged any text messages, but I'm sure that'll start up again on Monday. Phil Nevin with us pregame. You used the phrase earlier when we spoke before the interview, a slow Christmas as your roster has started to come back into shape with Rendon and Trout getting healthy. What has that been like now in the wake of the losing streak as well to get back to your best form? Well, it's important. I mean, anytime you write Mike Trout's name in there, I mean, I don't have to explain you know what that means and what not just what it means to me, the staff and the shape of the entire dugout in the clubhouse and what the lineup looks like and what he brings every day, the energy, uh, and not to mention he's, you know, one of the best players in the world. So, uh, I mean, it's just an uplifting moment for, I think, all the whole team, uh, just as much as it was like when you watched him go down the other day, it was just like, wow, you know, let's hope on the best side. And it, and it really was best case. I mean, he ends up missing four days, but... Uh, he came back with a vengeance last night for sure, and, and it definitely added it. It was a huge uh, lift for our, for, our, for our dugout. Well, Phil, thanks so much for the time. Good luck tonight. All right. Thank you. Bleacher Tweets.
Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Tuesday. Elizabeth Hart at eHart tweets is up first. She writes in, is the Orioles winning their only challenge to have Mancini charged with a strikeout instead of a ground out the most Orioles thing ever asking for Taylor? Uh, I don't know if it's like, I don't think they've been like weirdly unlucky. They've just been bad. It's been, uh, you know, the high point of the season was like two weeks ago when they won like six of 10 games and they've been a little frisky, but uh, you know, they're still losing games and dumb things like this are magnified. It's totally fine. That's what I expect. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, in, in big picture, it's, you feel like it's been a year of progress on the field. You get Rutschman to the big leagues. Uh, how you feeling about all this ownership issue? Cause again, I, I, I tend to just try to cut to the absolute core issue if you're a fan, and that is whether or not they're actually going to spend money going forward. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. Um, I know John Angelus, he had to come out and say, we're not leaving as long as Fort McHenry is watching over Baltimore Harbor. What a what a cheesy line that was. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just tough to trust these guys. I mean, ownership, uh, you can't trust them anywhere, really. I mean, look at the, the fight down the street with Dan Snyder and him being a little bit shady. Like, I just... I don't know. It's well, a weird situation. And shoot, the Baltimore benefited from one of these ownership situations. I know, situations, I know. Right? That lingers over all this, too. I mean, that can't be ignored either. It's it's a weird time. And these Nashville rumblings, we didn't, I didn't get to talk to you about it, but, you know, we've been hearing these whispers probably for, you know, two-plus years now, and now it's out in the open. Um, I read a pretty good piece that was like, they're probably not going to move, and if they do move, the Rays and the A's dominoes need to fall first, so it's not like press the panic button hard right now, but it's still, it's out there. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, that's not leaving well, my mind. Well, it's out there. And let's keep in mind, you know, the, uh, you know, Peter Angels for years, as you know, it's sort of an adversarial relationship with some of the other owners. The idea that the other owners are going to let Baltimore take over the Nashville market. I just don't see it. Mm. I don't see the Orioles moving. Uh, I don't see the other owners approving of the move of the Orioles. I, I think more would have to go wrong, especially given the fact that this is a market you know, great, passionate fan base. You know, this amazing ballpark, Camden Yards, which I, I do feel like they finger-painted on, as I've talked about <laughs> earlier this year. Uh, but I just, I can't imagine the owner saying, yeah, go ahead and move, when you obviously have other uh, markets that are more troubled than Baltimore's is. Absolutely. And we'll jump over to uh, our friend Reggie uh, at Baseball Yoda Weather, uh, writing in question for Buster and Taylor, given the ownership of instability with Baltimore and the rumored sale of Washington. What's the long term viability of both franchises in the region? And can two local ownership groups be secured to keep both teams in the area? And I think yes, but I, I think really with Baltimore, I mean, it's not like a huge hit, but you are seeing those concerns playing out with the Nationals winning the World Series. I can say for certain that the Orioles fan base has eroded. You know, if you live in Montgomery County, Maryland, like you're rooting for the Nationals, you're not rooting for the Orioles. There's a lot of turncoat. Nationals fans and you know that should be noted I don't think it's a huge concern but it, it's a thing well and it's not a surprise I remember no. having a conversation with Peter Angelos about that in the late 90s when there was all the talk about Washington getting a franchise mm -hmm. all right let's move along here Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit writes in Shane McClanahan's season is reminding me a lot of Blake Snell Cy Young year Snell hasn't been the same guy since what do you attribute his fall off to inconsistency uh, I mean it just comes down to that He's a guy, even in his starts, there, you had the feeling when he was going great, there was nobody better because his stuff was incredible and he had that funky angle as a left-hander. But when he would lose the strike zone or his stuff dropped off a little bit, you know, he was a completely different pitcher. I think that's, when you get right down to it, that was, that's why Kevin Cash took him out of the World Series in 2020. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because you just didn't know exactly what you're going to get from Blake Snell from time to time. 
exactly what I thought of when I read that tweet. Billy Flanagan at Billy Flan is up next. Billy writes in, there was tons of talk in the offseason about the big five free agents short stops outside of Carlos Correa. The others have mostly struggled this season. Lots of payroll, not much return on investment. What gives? Yeah, it's a little bit early. I'm not ready. You know, Trevor's story was absolutely terrible at the beginning of the year, and then he's been great lately. Let's let's wait a little bit longer before we sort of uh, make uh, make final decisions on what we think these guys are going to be going forward. Katie Casey at Tweeter Bleats writes in watching Sunday Night Baseball. I feel like there was a couple times when the Mets scored from first on a double, scored from second on a single. How come no one does that anymore? Too scared to make an out at home. And my man Joey Cora. Vanderbilt guy, right? Yes. In St. Freshman class, fall of 82. Loved his aggressiveness the other night. It was pretty cool. And I love how he laughed at himself, but he couldn't get out of the way of that line drive. He showed me the bruise between innings. Yikes. P.K. Steinberg is going to close it down for us today. Buster in an extreme blowout like the Phillies game Sunday. Should the home team have the option of raising the white flag and not batting in the home half of the ninth? Yeah, I got to say, I kind of feel that way that uh, at some point we got to get past the idea that we're seeing so many position players pitch. I don't like it. Like, I think very occasionally, but when it's all the time, I think it puts players in a weird position. And I've had private conversations with some position players about that where they've said, geez, I hope they don't ask me. Because they they do feel like if they say no, then they're the, the guy who's not the team guy. Uh, and they're kind of a little bit worried about uh, putting themselves at risk for injury. Yeah, let's uh, the novelty on that is all worn off. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Yep. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. And please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you've listened to this whole thing and you're like, wow, that conversation between Buster and Tim was electric and you want to see it in front of your eyeballs, check out the ESPN YouTube page. We're doing that every week with those two guys, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and the numbers on that are climbing, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. All right. Uh, that's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Sarah, and Taylor. Uh, I forgot to mention the other Sarah as well. Uh, and I also want to say thanks again to Mike Trout. He was phenomenal on Sunday. I hope uh, everyone had a chance to see that. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.